In a minute, we're going to have an interview with Dr. Frank Torek. But before we do that, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Fab Skin Hot Bodies with Dr. Jeanette Graff. It's a new podcast about keeping your body and skin looking toned and young. If you want to look your best through the holidays and into the new year, well, you should join Dr. Graff in her world. She's a world-renowned dermatologist, author, skincare researcher. She interviews famous stylists which, you know, obviously is something I'm super into, (laughs) makeup artists, uh, fitness gurus, which actually is something I'm into, in order to give you the best advice and tips. So no beauty or skin topic is off limits. Whether you want to look your best, uh, if you want to remove cellulite, if you want to get the perfect tan without actually damaging your skin, Dr. Graff has you covered. So you can check her out today on Fab Skin Hot Bodies with Dr. Jeanette Graff. You know, I heard, I'm going to have to listen to her because I heard that there's a pill you can take now that'll tan you. Um, because I, I, I just don't, that doesn't sound dangerous. Uh, I'm not going to go into the, uh, I'm not going to go into the sun anymore. Right. But I also don't want to go into one of those spray tan things because you have to get naked. Right. And they just spray you from like 360. Uh huh. Yeah. I don't want to do that. So, Obviously. so, so I'm going I'm to listen because, uh, she'll give you some tanning yep, tips. Yep. I'm, I'm all about the tanning tips. I'm, I want to be, I want to be George Mike, uh, George, what was his name? Harris, uh, George, George Harrison. George Harrison. You're George, as bad as I you am. You said George Michael. I said we met in the middle of George Harrison. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, All right. I'm listening. Today's show is also brought to you by iFit Nourish. Uh, we, we have so many trendy... I mean, John and I are on a trendy diet. We're on the ketogenic diet. Uh, but a lot of you, we, we, we eat poorly. We eat calorie-rich foods, but nutrient-poor foods. And what ends up happening is our body does not get the nutrients that it needs, and that's why there's iFit Nourish. It's a customized protein drink that's made for you and only you. Unlike other nutritional shakes, iFit Nourish allows you to personalize your mix. So you tell it, I went online and I did this thing where I told it uh, what my daily activity levels were like, uh, what my, the rest of my diet was like, and what my fitness goals were, and it and they they made a special protein mix just for me. It delivers the highest quality fruits, veggies, and protein, plus twenty five essential vitamins and minerals. And most importantly, there's no artificial flavors added, no colors, no preservatives, no fillers ever. So if you want to check this out, you go to ifitnourish.com/tesh for a free fourteen serving bag of nourish mix and a shaker bottle. That's ifitnourish.com slash Tesh, and you create your personalized formula today. So this is the future of everything, right? It's, it's personalized. Nobody bespoke. wants one. Bespoke, yeah. Bespoke. Bespoke. There's, there's, there's no longer one-size-fits-all for, for, uh, for diet, fitness, and, and health. It just doesn't no. work that way. Anymore. No, and That's if you great. want to get that customized thing, check out ifitnourish.com slash Tesh. All right, guys. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. I'm Gib Gerard here on Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. With me, as always, is the inimitable John Tesh. How you doing, man? Good. Well, oh, we're doing something fun today. Um, our interview is Dr. Frank Turek, and he is at crossexamined.org. You can see what it's about. We have been thinking a lot about uh, a lot of things over the holidays, and, and one really important thing for us is to understand why we believe what we believe and so we brought this interview to you um, that I think is actually really meaningful. I, in prepping for the interview, I've learned a lot. Um, you become a fan of his, I right? I have become a yeah, fan. And we yeah. text now, which I like. Yeah. Uh, yeah but- listen, he's, you know, we're, we're, I grew up, you know, in the Methodist, Baptist and Methodist church, right? And so a lot of it was just like, okay, believe and raise your hands. And, uh, and then if somebody asked you to defend your faith. It was like, oh, sorry, my gun is not loaded. Uh, Frank is that guy. He's a a, a Navy aviator, right? Um, and he is just really l- locked into doing research, and, and and 
he debates atheists. He, he does. I love, I love this. So I, I, I love the smartness of this guy. And he lives in the world of philosophical and logical arguments. So he, he helps, uh, he helps put into words and, and helps, and helps people defend exactly why they believe what they believe. Some of these arguments are 2000 years old. Some of them are brand new. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear our interview with him. So without further ado, here we are with Dr. Frank Turek. Hey, Frank Turk, welcome to the show. Gib, John, great being with you. How are you guys? We're, we're, we're good. Are you going to be able to tell us apart? Do, 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 can you tell our voices apart? Because because uh, uh, my mother-in-law cannot. Yeah, and phone operators can't either. Yeah. Well, uh, unless one of you is Rich Little, I can. <laughs> Very nice, yeah. Look up Rich Little, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what, what he's talking about. All right, so our guest today, as mentioned before, is Frank Turek. Frank, uh, well, I, I would tell people about you, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, what... What is your ministry, and, and, and how did you get started in it? Well, I, uh, I came to believe that Christianity was true, that God exists and Jesus rose from the dead by reading books that gave evidence for that, like Evidence Demands a Verdict, written by Josh McDowell, and More Than a Carpenter, also written by Josh McDowell. This is 30 years ago or so. I came to, I came to believe it was true through evidence, and so I ultimately got involved in presenting that kind of material, my stuff, uh, my, my stuff, myself, easy for me to say, uh, myself, after I went to a school here in Charlotte, North Carolina called Southern Evangelical Seminary, where I learned from a guy by the name of Norman Geisler, who uh, for years has sort of been the Michael Jordan, or now we might say the Steph Curry of, of what we call <laughs> apologetics. That's giving evidence for what you believe. And, and, you, and do, so you, you got this degree in it. Would you, would you say you started off as a skeptic? I kind of, no, I always believed in God. I just never knew how Jesus fit into the picture. You know, who was this guy hanging on a cross? I, I never really knew who he was until I started reading books like this. I like I like these. See, see what we'll do is we'll pull out a promo and we'll say and and Frank and Frank Turek will answer the question and then we'll roll that thing. It says, "Who was this guy hanging on the cross?" Really, right, well, well done. Hey, hey, Frank. I you know of course you know my my dad was uh, was in the was in the Navy uh, in World War II. And um, I think I think people would be interested in your in your background in the in, in the service and how that plays into this into the, ultimately into your ministry today. Yes, I uh, after college I went through ROTC uh, and at the University of Rochester, New York, and I went right into the Navy, which uh, we call it actually stands for Never Again Volunteer Yourself, the Navy. <laughs> and uh, so I uh, I got involved in the Navy for about eight years, and during those eight years is when I met. Uh, the son of a Methodist minister when we were going to navigator school down in Pensacola, Florida. And he was the one that introduced me to these books that I, I said, gee, I never knew there was evidence for this stuff. You can actually know that God exists and Jesus rose from the dead. He said, yeah, I get these books. So that was my, my path. And when I got out of the Navy in 1992, right after that, my wife and our three sons, we moved down here to Charlotte uh, for me to go to this school, this seminary, Southern Evangelical Seminary. And uh, that really launched me into writing books and presenting this kind of evidence uh, around the country. And we do it on TV and radio as well. Did you grow up, though, as a, as a Christian kid in, in church? I grew up, I grew up uh, Catholic because I'm from New Jersey, and it's the law. <laughs> yeah, that home, for sure you have to be catholic if you're from new jersey i don't know if you know that but anyway the, yeah, I, grew, I grew up in the catholic church went to catholic high school and i always believed in god i just wasn't quite sure who jesus was so, but so so you you apologetics is the umbrella under which you would describe your what you do right 
That's right. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's not. You're not saying you're sorry. You're actually giving evidence for what you believe. It comes from a Greek word, which means to to defend, apologia. Uh, you're giving a defense. You're not. You're not apologizing. You're not saying you're sorry. You're giving evidence. But you use you use reason, logic, evidence in order to defend your faith. But why why bother why bother doing that? Like why why does why does that have a place in your faith? Why can't you let faith be faith? And let reason be reason. Why do they go together like that in your mind? Yeah, because there's a difference between, and by the way, that's a great question. People don't often ask that. There's a difference between belief that and belief in. Belief that is apologetics. That give it, that's getting evidence that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the Bible is true. But all the belief that in the world won't get your moral transgressions forgiven. You have to go from belief that to belief in. That's trusting in. Even the demons believe that God exists, but they don't trust in him. And by the way, we know this in relationships. When I first met my wife 32 years ago, I got evidence that she would be a good wife, but all the evidence in the world didn't make her my wife. I had to take a step of trust in her to ask her to be my wife. And in a momentary lapse of judgment, she said yes. (laughs) So so that's the difference between belief that and belief in. Most of the time when the Bible's talking about faith, it really means trust. And it means to, to trust in what you have good evidence to believe is true. Trust in that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead. If you trust in it, it's essentially your way of saying, I accept this and I want to follow Jesus. So, and, and, and in your mind, that the, the belief that needs defending and the belief in is just some, some, some sort of existential thing that happens within us? Yeah, belief in is uh, is not just of the head, it's also of the heart. I mean, you can believe that something's true, but you don't have to uh, trust in it. You don't have to assent, in it, 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 or assent to it. You can believe somebody would make a great spouse, but you might never take that next step to trust in them to be your spouse. So I, I'm going to give you an emotional word picture. When I was in when I was in college, we uh, you know, I played some sports, but I, I also uh, had to do intramurals, and so the only thing that was left was fencing. And so I studied fencing for uh, I mean a full full semester, and at the end of the semester, I'm standing in front of a guy with a sword, right? Uh, and the guy, the teacher yells, "Fence!" I forgot everything that I ever learned, and I just started wailing my uh, my sword. Missing, <laughs> falling down on the ground, as you can imagine, because you know how clumsy I am, uh, Frank. And and so it was, it was it was a total mess. And the metaphor I'm trying to draw is that I, I feel like we as a family have uh, have studied the Bible. I grew up in the in the Methodist Church. My dad ran the church basically, and so I, I went through the program. I not in a million years would pick up my the sword of the faith and stand in front of an atheist because I think that that's the scariest thing you could possibly do as a, as a Christian. When did you start doing that, and how scary was it for you, what, or if ever? Well, I started doing it pretty much after I went to seminary here, Southern Evangelical Seminary, and uh, people will say, well, where did you learn to debate? I said, look, I'm married. I I need a little drum set here, Gibbs. I mean, come on, you 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 debate when you're married. You got to get good. And by the way, I always lose. But by the way, Gib is the only one in this family who debates in the in in the marriage because I I don't have those chops. My wife uh, outclasses me in that area. But go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. It was. I think the evidence is very strong, so I don't really have a problem in putting forth a case and having somebody shoot arrows at it. But what I insist they do, John, is I insist that your job as an atheist is not just to say that my worldview is false. Mm -hmm. You have to give positive evidence that your worldview is true. 
Why is there a universe if there is no God? Why are there moral absolutes, moral obligations if there is no God? Uh, why, do, why are we conscious? Why are the laws of logic, why do they exist if there is no God? Why does it really appear through good historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, if there's no God. So you have to somehow come up with an atheistic uh, case for why the universe is the way it is. You just can't say, well, I think Christianity's false. I mean, you can say that, but you still have the burden of proof on your side of the ledger to, to, to explain reality the way it is from an atheistic perspective. It's been said before, it's easy to smell a rotten egg. It's hard to lay a better one. Yeah. If you think my egg is rotten, then you've got to explain why your egg is good. Paint, paint, but, a, paint, a, picture, uh, paint a picture for us, uh, a typical debate. And I know you do a lot of these on, on college campuses. Paint a picture for what it looks like when you're debating uh, an atheist from what, 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 the, what, the, what the arrows are in the atheist's quiver what your what your um uh your sharpest arrows are and and how the audience reacts to this can you do that for us yeah uh one of the problems with debates is you never have enough time and so uh normally when you're debating you get like a 20 minute opening statement and the other guy gets a 20 minute opening statement and then you may have some 10 minute rebuttal statements and then i always insist on having a cross examination period where we're going back and forth and he's asking me questions and i'm asking him questions and we're pressing one another on the points uh, and then we typically take questions from the audience, and then we, and then we uh, also do closing statements. And you can see these debates on YouTube. I've had the opportunity to debate Christopher Hitchens a couple of times. Christopher was a brilliant British atheist, and he sounded more brilliant than he was because he had a British accent. Of course. <laughs> uh, and uh, tragically, he passed away about six years ago. But uh, there's other debates I've done with David Silverman, who's the president of the American Atheists, and another guy who's really a strong guy is um, Jeffrey Lauder. He's a, he's a great guy, great uh, a great guy to have a dialogue with. Uh, he's probably the most formidable out of all those folks. You probably never heard of him, but he's 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 a great man, and he and he really he really thinks hard about these issues. And typically, it depends on what the topic of the debate is. But if I say, well, God exists, tip the the and, and I'll give evidence. For example, the beginning of the universe. If the universe had a beginning, it must have had a beginner. If space, time, and matter literally came out of nothing, then whatever created space, time, and matter can't be made of space, time, and matter. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create, also intelligent because the universe is designed. Now, I just asked the atheists, I said, look, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? And typically the atheist will say, well, we don't really know what caused the universe. And I say, no, I think we do know. I think the evidence is quite clear. I think these attributes fall right out of this uh, fact that the universe had a, had a beginning, which, by the way, even atheists admit that the universe had a beginning. So that's one of the arguments I give. And they'll typically come back, well, if there is a good God, why is there evil in the world? And Maybe we could talk about that a little bit later. So that's kind of the way it goes. So when you say atheists admit that the universe had a beginning, uh, can you flesh that out a little bit more? And, and, and furthermore, wouldn't you argue that science has done a good job of confirming the atheist worldview? No, because I think, of, to your second question, I think the atheist worldview that everything is caused by natural laws can't even get off the ground unless there's an immaterial reality. Uh, why are there such a thing as laws? Why are, why are the natural laws that we 
uh, that we try and harness and uh, we try and use to discover truths about the natural world. Why did they exist to begin with? Laws come from lawgivers. I mean, you think, well, there's a law like gravity out there. Okay, why is there a law like gravity? And why is it so consistent and persistent? They seem to require a mind to create and sustain these laws. So the very laws we use to do science, orderly natural laws, seem to require a mind to create, order, and sustain them. So I think you actually need a being like God, A, for there to be a natural world, and B, for us to even know about this natural world and draw conclusions about it, which is what science does. So no, I think the atheistic worldview is devoid. Uh, it can't explain why science even works unless there's a mind like God out there. But, but are those laws just really us describing observable phenomenon? But you, you, you're arguing that those laws exist outside of our observation? Um, exist, uh, what I'm arguing is, is that these laws are descriptions of what normally occurs, but it begs the question as to why such things occur, uh, uh, exist to begin with. Why is there a universe to begin with? And why this universe? Why not a universe with different laws? And why do the laws stay so consistent and precise? They seem to be best explained by a mind. And I'd also add this, Gib, our very ability to reason uh, traffics in the laws of logic. These laws are immaterial. They're not made of molecules. Yet so many atheists out there are materialists. They think everything is just made of molecules. And they think that every thought we have is the result of the laws of physics. Well, in effect, what I'll, what I'll say to them is, if every thought we have is the result of the laws of physics, if we're nothing but molecular machines, if we're just moist robots, then why should we believe anything we think, including the thought that atheism is true? And that's the topic of a book I've written recently called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. I'm arguing that they're actually stealing reason logic, and orderly natural world to come up with arguments to say God doesn't exist when none of those things, reason, logic, and an orderly natural world would exist unless someone like God existed. I've heard people many times use um, the tsunamis, hurricanes, the Las Vegas massacre, and all the way down the line, um, use that to try and prove that, uh, that God is not a loving God, and if God really loved us, he wouldn't allow these things. How do you answer that? Well, it's it's the hardest question to answer in a short period of time, John. You're 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 right on the most difficult question. But what I typically say when I only have a couple of minutes, like we do now, is I just say, well, first of all, what do you mean by evil? What is evil? And typically, what people will respond with is they'll they'll give you um, they'll give you examples of evil. They'll say, well, murder is evil, or rape is evil, or uh, death is evil, and we'll say, no, 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 those are examples. I want a definition. And if you really think about it. It's very difficult to describe evil or define evil without reference to good. It turns out that evil is a parasite in good. It's a lack in good. In fact, the best example I can give is an example that you've just been through yourself personally, and that is evil is like cancer. Cancer can't exist unless there's a good body to exist in it. If there were no bodies, there'd be no such thing as cancer. In other words, evil doesn't exist on its own. It exists as a parasite in a good thing, which means that evil can't exist unless good exists. But here's the problem for atheists. Good can't exist in an objective way unless God exists, because God, by definition, is what we mean by the standard of good. So if atheists are going to claim that evil disproves God, 
they're wrong. It may disprove, it may prove there's a devil out there, but there can't be evil unless there's good and there can't be good unless God exists. So evil doesn't disprove God. It actually shows that God does exist. Now that, I, 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 I get that one connected to, uh, let's say, John Wayne Gacy or, or the, again, like Las Vegas uh, or Newtown. Right. Uh, how, what about, what about uh, the quote-unquote natural disasters and, and the, well, a lot of arguments are why would God allow that? Why, well, right. why does yeah. God have a parasite? I mean, if he's perfect, wouldn't, wouldn't a parasite be imperfection? Well, the parasite was introduced into this world by our own free choice. You see, God gave us free will. If he doesn't give us free will, then we can't love. Mm -hmm. So he gives us free will. The problem is if he gives us free will, he also gives us the opportunity to hate and to do evil. For those of you that are philosophy majors, by the way, this is um, that you're presenting, this is the first off problem of evil. And secondly, you are, you're about to give the three worlds argument, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there, well, there's a, this is what's called a theodicy. Give us a reason why a good God could exist and evil could occur. Right. Now, when it comes to natural evil, which is what John is asking about, like disaster, natural disasters, hurricanes, tsunamis, that kind of thing, um, the Christian worldview traces all that back to a free choice as well. And when we sinned in Adam, when we made the choice in Adam to rebel against God, that cursed the world. And so these things do occur now. Now the question is, why would God allow these things to continue? And why and, and why create of, and why create an, an Adam who was who was flawed and who would choose evil? I mean, couldn't he have created one with free will who wouldn't choose evil? Well, that's logically possible. Yeah, he could have created an Adam that never sinned, but it might it might not be actually achievable with free creatures because by definition, if we're free, then God can't force us not to use our free will if he does then on a long enough timeline everybody will sin eventually is your point yeah we're going to sin eventually and it turns out if you think about this that a redeemed relationship is actually stronger than an innocent relationship what mm-hmm. do i mean by that if you have a falling out with somebody and then you make up that relationship given certain certain restraints that relationship is probably stronger than it was before the breakup. In other words, redemption is something that brings you to a higher level of relationship than just pure innocence. I mean, this is true in the business world. If you have a customer who has a bad experience at your business and and, and is really upset about it, but then you make up to them the problem and you go above and beyond to try and fix it, it turns out if you look at the surveys, that customer is more loyal to you than he would have been if the problem had never occurred. And so through redemption, you can actually go to a higher level of relationship than just pure innocence. So God knew, since he knows everything, that when he created a universe of free creatures and they would fall, that he could actually redeem them and he could have a stronger relationship with them than if it never had gone to this kind of of a problem. You know, Frank, one of the things that I've, uh, and we have, we, we have a unique opportunity, the two of us, because I've seen you um, a, on stage a couple of times, um, and also you've seen me and Gib on stage. Um, and it, so, you, so you know that after the show, what we do is we go out into the lobby and we interact with people. And since I've been honest about the cancer battle that, that I went through with my, you know, with my family, 
uh, it also it brings people out of the woodwork, right? So oh, yeah. yeah, and so they're they're talking about either their cancer. You feel like everybody's had cancer, right? Once you once right, you are right. honest like that. And so what I did was I, you know, as you know, I out, outlined the the prayers that uh, that, that uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, you know, uh, gave us and, and our friend Andrew Womack and, and a bunch of other the people. Great Jack Hibbs. The great Jack Hibbs. Um, and and we and we have these conversations. And and the one thing that keeps popping up, I wanted to get your feeling on this because I don't think this is in the Bible. But so many people said to me, uh, you know, God didn't give you anything more than you could handle, John. And I, and my answer to them was, you know, I don't, I don't think God, I think God wants me to be well. I don't think God wanted me to get to, to, to get cancer. What's your, your opinion on that, on that phrase? God won't give us anything more than we can handle. Yeah, it's actually not in the Bible. You're right. And um, look, sometimes Christians get cancer and die, right? It doesn't mean God's not in control. I mean, my friend Nabil Qureshi, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was the, the former Muslim that became a Christian and wrote several amazing books documenting that and pointing out why Jesus really rose from the dead and Christianity is true over against what Islam says about Jesus. And yet he just died three months ago at the age of 34 from right, stomach cancer. Right, right. And you ask, well, why would God allow that to happen? And, and this goes back to your question earlier with regard to natural disasters. A lot of times we don't know why, but we know why we don't know why. We're finite and God is infinite. And God can see how all these things will work together for good in the end. In fact, I, I've struggled with this question of evil for a long time, John. In fact, there was a, a thought that, that came to me by reading uh, a book that I think kind of revolutionized my thinking on this and helped me solve the problem to a certain extent. And it's called the ripple effect. The ripple effect is, is that everything that occurs uh, here on earth ripples forward to affect trillions of events and even people into the future. Uh, for example, in the Bible, there's a story of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament who's sold into slavery by his brothers. And he winds up in Egypt as a prominent leader in Egypt. His family in Israel experiences a famine there. And he flees, they flee to Egypt to try and get some food, and they run into their brother Joseph, who they really thought was dead. Now, Joseph at that point could have said, you dirty rats, you're going down, you sold me into slavery, it's revenge time. He didn't say that. What he said was, what you did to me, you did it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving of many lives that is occurring now. In other words, the evil that they perpetrated on him actually rippled forward into the future to create a good much later. Now, we can't always see this, but God can. So why did Nabil, Nabil Qureshi die at 34? I don't know why he died at 34, but I know why I don't know why. I'm finite. God is infinite. He can bring good from it. And obviously, if there is an eternity, and there is, then Nabil is with God now. It's us left behind to our suffering. But God can bring good from it, even if he can't see it, even if we can't see it, but, I should say. But that's now, God making good from that. That's God making good from human evil. Can yes. you, how does it? How do you extend that argument to God making good from what we would describe as acts of God that we would characterize as evil? Well, it's not an act of evil for God to kill somebody. Whether he, whether he kills us naturally, he takes his hand away from us, or he does so through cancer, or he does so through a tsunami, because God is the creator of, of, of all creation. He created us. He has the right to take us into the next life, whether we're two years old or 82 years old. I mean, if Christianity is true, 
people don't really die. They just change location, right? They go from this life to the next life. And it's up to God when he decides to transition us into eternity. So it's not evil for God to take a human life. It's evil for us because we're not God. That's why we say we can't play God, but God can take us out anytime he wants. So God doesn't do evil. He simply moves his plan forward. And if he wants to, to, to take us into the next life at any time he wants, that's up to him. I mean, obviously, that's, that's, a, that's a fine philosophical argument, but it's not very pastoral to somebody who's lost a two-year-old. No, you're absolutely right. That's why I never give this argument to somebody who's lost a two-year-old. They don't need a philosopher. They need a pastor. Yeah. Uh, well, so, but, but your argument now would say that it's an act of, of just godly discretion, right, mm-hmm. to allow a two-year-old to die who may or may not have even had an opportunity to accept God and, and their, mm-hmm. under their own free will. How do you, how do you reconcile that as a, as a potent, how do you ever get to an argument where that's a good act? Well, who knows what would happen, a two-year-old dying now, how that could ripple forward into the future, God working through free creatures to bring forth Say a two-year-old dies now and, and uh, 500 years from now, from now, partially as a result of a two-year-old dying today, a great evangelist is born and saves millions of people through his preaching, say, or a Mother Teresa figure comes into existence and alleviates suffering for so many. We can't trace those ripples, but God can. And so uh, God can bring good from evil even when we can't see it. In fact, there was a a pastor at Notre Dame in Paris 150 years ago who said one of the most profound things on this topic I think I've ever heard. I'll, I'll paraphrase it so it won't be as good as he said it, but he said something like this. If God were to give me his power for 24 hours, you would see how many changes in the world I would make. But if God gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hey, you know, talking about the the ripple effect, uh, I watched it happen in our family, and I'm 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 pretty sure that Connie heard about uh, Nabil from uh, from from you. Mm. Um, uh, but I watched her. Here's a guy who was suffering mightily, right? Um, it, it, far more suffering than anything I went through when I was going through through chemo. Um, but it was I I watched as he would videotape himself on his phone. And, and continuing to evangelize and taking people through what his beliefs are and, and, and what he's feeling and his fight and how God is in it. And, and I watched this um, minister to, uh, to Connie, uh, you know, watching his fight, and she was telling me about it. And, and, and you could just see from, from the response of people watching this, um, this incredibly wonderful uh, struggle, if there is such a thing, um, it, it, that it, it had a ripple effect in our family. Oh, John, what he did, and people can go on YouTube and just type in Nabil Qureshi. Um, They can just go on YouTube and see all these video blogs he did. You're absolutely right. That was inspiring to see how he kept his faith and trust in God right to the end. And his goal was to bring as many people to Jesus as he could. He was an inspiration. But he wasn't originally, he wasn't originally a Christian, right? No, he was a Muslim. He was brought up in a, a strong, strong Muslim home. And one of the amazing books that uh, you can get, in fact, I'd highly recommend people get it on audio because Nabil actually reads it. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And it's a phenomenal story how he actually came to faith. John, he was given three dreams by God that no way he could have thought of himself. These were, these were not uh, dreams that had anything to do with what he was thinking about uh, during the day. They just came out of the blue. 
And he, he prayed to have dreams that God would tell him whether Christianity was true or whether Islam was true. And when you, when you listen to a story on Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, you go, wow, this is incredible. I want to remind you guys that today's show is brought to you by iFit Nourish. With the holidays just, just having passed and all of the crazy sugar stuff that we ate, it's hard to figure out what, nur- what actual nutrients you need because we eat all that sugar. We all eat all that calorie-rich, nutrient-poor food. Well, that's why there's iFit Nourish to help you with your New Year's resolutions. It's a customized protein drink that is jam-packed with all of the essential nutrients that you need. So unlike any other nutritional shake, iFit Nourish, it has it is customized and personalized for you. I went online, right? I, I told you I did this, right, John? Right, yeah. And I put in all of my activity levels, and it gave me a person. And I love the way it tastes, and it, it satiates me so much because it is designed for the way that I eat and the way that I act. And that is what's what's amazing about it. It's the highest quality fruits, veggies, and protein. 25 essential vitamins and minerals. And since iFit Nourish is passionate about picking about their ingredients, there is never artificial flavors, no added colors, no preservatives, no fillers ever. So you're not going to add that extra bit of poison in your body that your liver has to process. iFit Nourish focuses on the basics of human nutrition. So every single ingredient in your formula is included for a reason. They go through that. They, you know, it's not just, they don't just make you do the questionnaire and then send you a random thing of protein. It is, it is, it's all in there for a very specific reason, and it's backed with extensive research, which we like. Don't worry about all the flavors. Um, don't worry about uh, like how the flavoring is made. They've all been approved by a panel of taste judges, and they are completely delicious. Uh, mine, like I said, is unbelievably amazing. It is. It, it tastes exactly what I want it to taste like. And unlike most of these uh, shakes that are out there, uh, you know, because they're what they're doing is they're uh, they're creating them for the common denominator, like right. every everybody, right. you know, kids, adults, uh, senior citizens. There, no, no preservatives, preservatives, and no fillers. There's a lot of fillers and shakes yep. these days. Yeah, and this is going to be exactly what you need. So, if you're ready to simplify your life and you want to get your food from a powder, I can't, I can't tell you how how great that is. Go to ifitnourish.com/tesh. You get a free 14 serving bag of ifitnourish. Uh, I fitness mix and you get a shaker bottle, which is amazing. It's hassle free. It's hundred percent convenient. Comes right to your door. That's ifitnourish.com slash Tesh to create your unique mix today. Today's show is also brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ believes that the best way to improve the health of the world is to celebrate the health conscious. You spend all that time at the gym, you spend all that time jogging, you deserve financial and social rewards for that. So they use science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people. If you're a runner, if you're a cyclist, if you're a strength trainer, if you're a vegan, if you make certain health choices about your life, you can get these lower rates. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. That's huge savings, and they are exclusive to Health IQ members. Like... Um, if I could save save six percent on my life insurance, health insurance, that's that's like a a, a car payment for me. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, not not for nothing, but at your age, it makes a huge <laughs> thanks, difference. Thanks so much. Uh, so you deserve a lower life insurance rate for your healthy, conscious lifestyle. After all, physically active people, we actually have a thirty four percent lower risk of all causes of mortality, a fifty six fifty six percent lower risk of heart disease, a twenty two percent decrease in cancer mortality compared to people who remain inactive. So you deserve a, you deserve to, uh, to appreciate the, those, those, those benefits in a financial way. If you see if you qualify, you can go to uh, get a quote today at healthiq.com tesh or just mention the promo code tesh when you talk to a health IQ agent. 
Once again, that is healthiq.com slash Tesh to support the show and see if you qualify. All right, so Frank, uh, we were before, before we got into the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, the evil in the world, but how inspirational some of, some of the people who have persevered in the face of evil were. Uh, and you were mentioning a guy, can you remind me of his name? Nabil. Yeah, Nabil Qureshi, his book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Yeah, and, 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 and how inspirational you found that um, and how much that, how much that affected uh, our faith and how much that, it, that it, it's affected your own. Um, do you have any other examples of people who that have inspired you in that way? Oh, well, for going through pain, suffering, and evil, there's probably, uh, some of your listeners may have heard of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Yes. Uh, uh, a woman who, when she was just a teenager, had a accident that left her paralyzed. And she has written some of the most amazing books on pain and suffering and going through it personally and how it's really helped uh, her faith to trust in Christ as she goes through these difficulties. Let me say one other thing too. Well, two other things. First of all, let me say one thing about the show you guys did down in South Carolina a couple months ago. That show was so personal and so much fun to watch that I want to urge the people listening to this that when you guys are on tour, they need to come see you. Where, where are you guys going next? Uh, we're in Downey. We're, we're in Downey, California, on February third. You coming? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be February third. I'm only in North Carolina. I, I drove to see you last. <laughs> I know you time, did. Man. It was like hours and hours. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and hey, you know, speaking of that, uh, I got a chance to meet your wife, uh, your friends, and and your your wife yeah. especially. And one of the first questions I asked was because I I know what your schedule is. I said, Are you okay with this guy being out on the road? You know, for so many uh, weeks uh, throughout the year. And and I can't remember exactly what she said, but I'll paraphrase. She basically said. Um, I listen, I know, I know what he's doing and I know how important it is and he has to do this. Um, can you put that in context of, uh, of, uh, when did that start? Was your wife always okay with you going and challenging atheists and helping people defend their faith? Oh yeah. She was, uh, so supportive from the beginning. Bless her heart. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, John. That's all right. John. That's a reference to my what my mom used to always say. But go ahead. <laughs> that'll, that'll be another podcast. John, you got to tell people the bless your heart story. By the way, you just got to go see John and give yeah, in your tour. Teshmusic.com. Yeah, Tesh Shameless music. plug. Thank you. That's all right. Go <laughs> ahead. Bless, bless your heart is just such a big part of the show. Anyway, um, yeah, no, she knew from the beginning, and she has been my biggest supporter and uh, really my helpmate, as the scriptures say, for so long. And she really handles all of the business side of it in the sense that she's the one that fills all the orders online for all of our products and, t- and DVDs and books and that kind of thing. So she's a real warrior for that. And, uh, you know, we make sure that we get time together. So I'm not on the road all the time, but uh, enough uh, to make it a bit of a challenge on occasion. Well, how is what you're doing right now and the process you're doing how is that compare and contrast to becoming a, a naval officer? Are there similarities? <laughs> well, yeah, you got to be disciplined, obviously, uh, in both places, and uh, you've uh, you've got to be good on your feet, typically, and you've got to be able to present. And I learned a lot of just how, how to present just by having to do it in the Navy, uh, because they thrust you in those leadership roles when you're very young. So it's just kind of, I had to do it. And then when I got out of the Navy, I wanted to parlay any skill I had doing that into evidence for Christianity. And so that's how I got into it. So you, you just said that you're, you, have to, you have to think on your feet, but I've heard you in interviews say that you're not good on your feet, 
that you get asked the same question so many times? Well, you, you have to be good on your feet in the sense you've got to be a, a good presenter. And uh, you've got to be good in the sense that you've got to anticipate the questions that are asked. But I don't, I'd say probably only 10% of the questions do I have to do any original thinking. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you've heard it over and over again. Right. They're the same 20 objections. They're all good objections, don't get me wrong, in the sense that they're worth asking. But uh, the objections that I get, I actually have PowerPoint slides to because yeah. I know they're coming. Yeah. And uh, so in that sense, it's something that you get used to answering. Can you give us those top three, what those, like the top three objections you get the most commonly are? Sure. Actually, they're in four categories and they're all on our app, the cross-examined app, two words in the app store, cross-examined. If you try and say Christianity is true, you're going to get objections in four basic categories. They all begin with the letter E. We've been talking about one of them, evil. If there is a good God, why is there evil? Or why does God allow evil to persist? The one of the one oldest is, philosophical questions. Oh, oldest, yeah, of all time. And it's still, it's obviously still a great question. And nobody has all the answers, obviously, in that, in that realm. The second uh, big category, also beginning with the letter E, is evolution. Well, you know, if, uh, if evolution is true, then do we need, do we need God? And, and, and how does evolution, uh, how does that interact with the scriptures? Does it contradict the scriptures? That whole question. You also get question on it, questions on eternity. That's the third E. And, you know, if there is a good God, um, why would he send people to hell? Or what about those who've never heard about Jesus? Or why would God create people he knew would go to hell? Those kinds of questions. And the fourth E has to do with ethics. Like, for example, uh, why did God kill the Canaanites in the Old Testament? Did God, God seems scary in the Old Testament. He seems mean. He seems judgmental. We're in the new, maybe not questions like that. You also get questions on sexuality because that's a big topic today. Uh, you know, this, the, the, the movements of sexuality today and, and how, what, what people think about sex today, does that contradict with the Bible and why so? So those are the big, the big issues. Evil, evolution, eternity, and, and uh, ethics. So we've covered evil a little bit. Can, where, where do you land on, on evolution? I mean, the, evident, the preponderance of scientific evidence would seem to support that that exists and that that exists apart from God. Well, certainly evil or evil, <laughs> evolution, sorry, new category, folks, move on. <laughs> evil evolution. Uh, yes, let's do evolution. Certainly, we believe in evolution, that, that there is a, uh, uh, a sense that things change over time. That's called microevolution. There's adaptation within a type. The question is, does macroevolution occur? Speciation by means of natural selection? Yeah, by means of the fact that, you know, the whole molecules to man without intelligence sort of neo-Darwinian theory of macroevolution. There's no intelligence out there. We all just got here through some natural process. There's no intelligent design at all. I actually think there's not very good evidence for that. And I think there's very strong evidence against it. And I, I could just list a few things without going into detail. I think the fossil record is against it. I think if things are irreducibly complex that they couldn't have gotten here through some sort of gradual process. I think the very origin of information itself in the DNA molecule or in DNA requires an intelligence. I think there are genetic limits to change that show that, I mean, even, even breeders can't break genetic limits using all their intelligence. Why should we expect a non-intelligent process to do so? And then there's this new discovery known as epigenetic information, which shows that even if you could mutate DNA indefinitely, you wouldn't, you would never get a new body plan. Mm -hmm. So I think there's arguments against evolution, but I hasten to say this, Gib, that even if macroevolution is true, it still needs God. And you go, well, how can that be? 
because the very forces, natural forces, which allow evolution to occur, require a mind to create the forces and to keep them consistently going. So even if macroevolution is true, you don't get rid of the need for God. So what I hear you saying essentially is, in your mind, there are limits to macroevolution. However, you, uh, if, if science were to discover some sort of mechanism that we just don't understand yet, by which speciation, you know, to your point, from cells to mammals, uh, mm-hmm. by which that would occur, uh, that, 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 that would still be in the context of God? Uh, it would still, the whole natural world that, that we're in right now requires a creator and a sustainer. The natural laws that would allow macroevolutionary processes to move forward still require a mind to create the laws and sustain the laws. So even if it's true, you, you, you need a being like God, in my view. You know, you, um, you have a unique opportunity when you're defending your, your faith to be um, a, a demographer as well. well. What is the difference between defending your faith in front of people uh, like me, a baby boomer, and, and millennials, 18 to 34s? Wow, yeah, that's a great question, John. I, you know, we used to, when we did this originally, we would just start at the question, does God exist, and then move on from there? Mm-hmm. Because if God exists, after that, you can just move on to the question, well, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if God exists and Jesus rose from the dead, then game over, Christianity's true. It's important to distinguish. You mean when you say God, you mean you mean one of the one of the infinite concepts of God from the book religion. So uh, Islam, Judaism, or Christianity, not yeah, theistic God, a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, right. powerful, moral, personal, intelligent so, being who created and sustains all things. So not a God, not a, pantheon, from, not a God from the pantheon, exactly is what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but what we had to do, John, when we after a while, we said, you know what? People don't even believe in truth anymore. And so we got to start at, does truth exist? And so now we start there. Does truth exist? Because people will say there's no truth, to which we always reply, is that true? <laughs> because it's self-defeating to say there's no truth. It's self-defeating to say there are no absolutes. Why? That's an absolute. It's self-defeating to say you can't know anything. Why? You're, you're claiming to know that. It's self-defeating, by the way, to say you ought not judge. Why? Because it's a judgment itself. So... I so, think that's so, the so back, difference. So back, back to the millennials and the, and the boomers. Yeah, I think that's the difference between the boomers and the millennials. Where the boomers, if you say, hey, this is true, they'll go, okay. But with the millennials, if you say this is true, they'll say, well, that's just your truth. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've got to Postmodernism, subjectivity? Yeah, it's, sub- it's everything subjective. Of course, the thought that everything is subjective isn't subjective itself. It's objective. It, that's what they're claiming. So it's, 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 a, it's a self-defeating claim to say there are no objective truths it's like saying i can't speak a word in english so to put this in layman's terms for me um Mm -hmm. is are we saying that for baby boomers it's easier to get them to say hey you really need to believe in god and that jesus rose jesus rose from the dead raise your hands and worship god and and come to the altar and uh, and accept jesus as your savior that's an easier road than it is for the millennials is what you're saying generally so but not always i don't want to make too many generalizations but yeah because I think there are fewer obstacles in the mind of a baby boomer who may have been brought up with the concept of truth, that it is absolute, it is objective, you can know it, and the millennials who maybe are a little bit more skeptical of that notion. But but, the, but to, to your point, the struggle of debating a millennial could be more rewarding. Yeah, and in fact, John, you know the biggest issue really isn't evidence for most people. It's not evidence. Most people really aren't interested in evidence. Um, they're really interested in happiness. Mm. 
they're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. And they think that if they just do their own thing, they're going to be happy. So the question, the knockdown question I ask people who are not Christians is this. It's if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And I've had atheists stand at the microphone on a college campus in front of hundreds of people. I ask him that question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And they'll say, no. And I say, wait a minute. How's that reasonable? Well, it's not. The issue isn't in their head. The issue's in their heart. They don't want it to be true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In many cases, they don't want it to be true. Why? They don't want there to be a God because they want to be a God of their own life. They don't want anybody telling them what they have to do. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote the, the much of the New Testament, as you know, in, the, in his letter to the church at Rome, in his first chapter, says, we suppress the truth because we want to do our own thing. And it's not just true of non-Christians. Christians do it too. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want to do what God says, so we suppress the truth about it. We just deny it's true because we want to do our own thing. So I find a lot of times the issue isn't evidence. The issue is not in the head. The issue is in the heart. Fascinating. Um, I, I, have, I have one more question that um, I, I've, I've been, I have, we have a lot of non-believer friends. We have some friends who are atheists. We have friends that are Jews. Um, uh, we have uh, friends who are Christians. But mm. uh, one of the things that, uh, that I've encountered, and, and some of it is just from being in tiny churches, is uh, when somebody gets saved, right, and becomes a, a Christian, they are really, really eager to go share that faith and to turn everybody else into a Christian. Um, right. Right. And, and I, I think that's part of the rub against us as, as, as Christian people is that don't, why are you trying to take my beliefs, my faith uh, away from me? Is, is, there a, is there a path, a better path for that as a Christian who wants to share how exciting this life is, is for them? Uh, and do you, do you have warnings for, for, uh, for new Christians? Yeah, we certainly don't want to be obnoxious about it, right? <laughs> right. That was the word I was looking for. It just took me forever to get to it. Yeah, no, we don't. And uh, look, C.S. Lewis put it best. He said, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm not as eloquent as C.S. Lewis, but he said something like this. He said, if Christianity is true, it's of supreme importance. If it's not true, it's of no importance. What it can't be is just moderately true. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if, if it's true, really, there's a God, and Jesus, who was God, added flesh over his deity, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, so that sacrifice could pay for my moral transgressions and yours, then that is the most important fact in the universe, because our eternal destiny actually is tied up in whether or not we trust in Christ for what he's done or we reject what Christ did. That's why new Christians, and I would argue old Christians, ought to be excited about telling people about this because it literally is the most important truth in the world if it's really true. Right. If it's not true, then, well... Just go on and do what you want to do. It, you know? it can't be either or. Either you. It, so it's one of those. It's one of those questions that has. That's the basis for philosophy, right? Is there, is there a supreme being, or are we? Are we? And every question eventually lands on that, or are we here randomly? And if you yeah, can't in fact, answer, that's a good insight, Gib. Mortimer Adler, who once uh, wrote, who was in like an editor of the Great Book series, was once asked the question, 
why is the God section in the great book series the largest of all the sections? And Adler said, I suppose it's because the question of whether or not God exists is the most important question to every human being. Because if God exists, then there's a true purpose to life and a right way to live it. If there is no God, then there is no true purpose to live and no right way to live it. It's literally the most important question that we have to answer. Everything changes on that question. I think that's as good a place to end as any. You know, we have, um, we have, uh, I know there are people listening to this podcast right now who are thinking, wow, I, I like this guy. He makes uh, a lot of sense. I want to take the, the next step. Um, can you lay that out? Cause we're always big on our, on the podcast, on the radio show, Frank, if it, give me the three things, right? What are the three, three things that people can do to, to dig deeper? I would imagine one of them is to go to your, to your website and, and, you know, pick, pick a book and pick somebody else. Maybe it is Johnny Erickson, but uh, let, let us have it. That's right. Well, crossexamined.org, that's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org is the website. When you go there, you'll see a lot of articles. And I'll put a link in the show notes for that too. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Gip. And, and there'll be a lot of videos. What we do when we go to a college campus is we record everything on video. And so you'll see a lot of video Q&As where somebody asks a question and I'll try and give a short answer. Now, people like these because you have to get to the point quickly on a question. You don't have a half hour to answer a question. You got like four minutes. And, uh, and when there's a little bit of interaction, it makes for a more interesting video. I've noticed, John, that if you send somebody a 40 minute video, yeah. they won't watch it. But yep. if you send them a four minute video, they might. Welcome, so, welcome to the new inten- attention span of, of, that's right. <laughs> of modern that's life. That's right. Actually, what were you saying, Gib? I just lost my train of... Exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> of, uh, anyway, um, so the website, number one, the the app, number two, cross-exam adapt, that's two words in the app store. We've got like 150,000 people who have downloaded it. They're finding it helpful. Much of what we talked about today is on the app. All the little questions, there's a quick answer section on there that's right there. They can They can go further. And then we're on TV and radio, and you can access all that from the app. We're on DirecTV channel 378, Wednesday nights at 6 Pacific and 10 Pacific. Um, and uh, we're on radio every week. Uh, that's podcasted, so they can they can listen to the podcast anytime they want. So those three things, the website, the app, the TV, the radio, um, that ought to keep them busy for a while. And then yeah. the book. <laughs> uh, then the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. There are two books that they can get. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and uh, stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. What, what, one more thing. Who, who, is the, who is the gentleman who was with you guys at, uh, at Calvary Chapel? Uh, it, was the, it was the case for life. He was giving the reasons uh, against abortion. Who was that? Oh, that's, uh, that's Mike Adams. Who, Amazing. Uh, yeah, he is the... Uh, a professor at UNC Wilmington, University of North Carolina, Wilmington, who was an atheist uh, bef- when he got tenure. And then he suddenly became a Christian uh, by visiting a prison in Ecuador. And uh, now he's a big pro-life advocate. Anyway, he got such great teaching reviews as a teacher when he was an atheist and continued to get them from the students when he became a Christian. <sighs> but the uh, the faculty wasn't happy with him. So they quit uh, quit promoting him and he ultimately sued his university and won wow, because wow. they were discriminated against him because of his religious views. And, and what, so what, Mike Adams yeah. is an amazing guy. You got to look him up. Do you remember the, the, the book? Um, I, we'll, we'll put it in the, in, I'll put it in the, in the show oh, notes. Yeah. His, his book is called, 
Um, it's a case for life or something like that. Yeah. No, well, it, that's that's a Scott Klusendorf's book called The Case for Life. I'll put that in the show notes too. <laughs> yeah. His book uh, is called um, Letters to a Young Progressive, and he's got the best subtitle I've ever heard. Here's the subtitle to Letters to a Young Progressive. How to Avoid wasting your life protesting things you don't understand oh man that's awesome wow. yeah that's really awesome i'll tell you i'll tell you a quick story before we let you go um so i'm i'm at um uh promise keepers right and i don't even mm-hmm. know when i don't remember when it was but it was there were eighty thousand men um in the la coliseum right and wow. so uh, I, I always uh, I always uh, use the joke on stage that uh, people don't know what promise keepers is. It's where it's where women uh, send their their uh, husbands who are bad or have the potential for being bad. And so I'm sitting there with uh, with eighty thousand men, and, uh, and uh, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, does this whole thing, and you can find it online, um, which is about uh, um, closet Christians. And he does uh-huh. this whole thing about how I think you would love this if you haven't heard it. How how uh, uh, good Christian men in the world uh, are accepting all these blessings from God, but they've gone CIA. They're closet Christians. He said everybody else in Los Angeles has come out of the closet. It's time for you men to come out of the closet. <laughs> and so you know, like eighty thousand men yelling, "I'm out! I'm out! I'm out of the closet!" I think this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. It's a, um, it's a strange picture. Yeah, it really, it really is. Listen, it's, oh, it's, Tony, Tony, look up Tony Evans, friends. You'll love yeah, him. Yeah, he's, he's just he's he's amazing. Listen. Um, the reason I'm uh, I'm walking in faith is uh, is because my wife dragged me into this tiny messianic church, and I'm and you know County really well. I'm really grateful to her and and uh, Gib, as you know, is um, is is incredible in his in his church and and uh, his family serves like like crazy, and uh, and we love the service that uh, that you've put together, and we we follow you, and and we want to continue to spread the word, and we'll do it on our television show as well. Well, thanks, brother. I really appreciate that. And I'm loving the work you guys are doing, too. I mean, folks, again, if, if, <laughs> oh, if, if, no, serious, serious, because it's it's not just about the music, John. I mean, it's a life story that you're given and you're also giving people the truth about Christ in there in a, in a non obnoxious way, which is, by the way, is hard to do. When yeah, you, it, 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 yeah. Thank, thank you for that. I, I always tell the story that that, uh, that that Connie every now and then will sit in a concert and she'll have a this is really not a thing. I sort of make it up, but she'll have a little, a little, little note, and it says uh, "wrap it up" <laughs> because I can't ever land the. I was watching you and I was like, "Man, you're great at, at at this," and I get started on something I can't land the plane, as we say in the in the in the business. But um, we we glad to, we glad you're uh, we're glad you landed it, uh, you know, for us today, and it's uh, been well, great. Gib, thanks for setting this up. Yeah, and she's saying wrap it up because she's heard it a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the people in the audience haven't heard it. They're going, what happened next? And now Connie's going, shut up. <laughs> Once again, our guest today has been Frank Turek from crossexamined.org. You can check out all of his videos there. Plus, I put a link in the show notes. Show notes. If you have any questions for Frank that we didn't ask today, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh, or on Twitter at John Tesh. Also, you can find me, facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, uh, or at Gib Gerard on all of the social media platforms and you can also ask frank any questions if you like this podcast uh go ahead and give us a rate comment or subscribe in itunes stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and if you didn't like the podcast don't tell anybody about it if you did tell your friends and uh, make sure that you share it thank you guys for listening